Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, welcome on Resurrection Sunday. Great to see you. Uh, I want to talk about the resurrection, but really what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about why we needed one. Then we'll talk about it a little bit, what it did for us. And then I want to talk to you a little bit, uh, kind of give you a preview of up and coming events. Uh, But beginning in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In his likeness, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, when God created man, he created man to have dominion. He did not create man, he did not create you to be some sort of a a, uh, carpet to be walked on. He created you to have dominion. In fact, it, it says here, over every creeping thing, aren't that, isn't that good, ladies, that you have authority over all the creeps? So really what God did is he gave man dominion, authority, a place of rulership. And in Psalms 8 and verse 6, it says, you've made him to have dominion over the works of your hand and have put all things under his feet. How many things were under Adam's feet? All things were under his feet. And again, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in a garden, or the Garden of Eden, to tend, to guard, and to keep or protect it. So when man, God put man in this garden, he didn't give him a hoe. He gave him authority. He was to tend it, but he was to guard it. He was to keep it. He was to protect it. And and who from? Well, the enemy of man's soul. The enemy of your soul is the devil. And he was to guard, he was to keep the garden in a position where the enemy would not come and contaminate. So God told him, he said, now look, in in this garden, you can freely eat of all the trees. But there's this one tree you cannot eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blessing and calamity. Now notice it's good and evil, blessing and calamity. You shall not eat from the day that you eat of it. You will surely die. So you know what happens. The devil shows up and he says to Eve, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? The first thing that he does is attack God's word. And any time you get that attack in your mind, has God said, yeah, God said, but you will not. It's always it always comes from the enemy. And the serpent said to the woman, God said you'll die, but you will not die. Always trying to take what God has said and pervert it and change it. They eat of the tree. And then the Bible tells us that they the eyes of both of them were were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. 
And the Lord called Adam and said, where are you? And Adam said, well, I'm here. I'm hiding because I'm afraid. And God said, well, who told you? Who told you that you were naked and that you needed to be afraid? Uh, sometimes we listen to the wrong voice. There, there is a voice in our culture that is not the right voice. But what God said to Adam, why are you afraid? Why are you hiding? You see, before they sin, every day they would walk with God and they would talk with God. But as soon as they sin, they're afraid of God. And they're distancing themselves from God and they're, they're hiding. And, and the truth is that if somebody had to drag you to church today, there's a really strong possibility that the reason they had to do that is because you have a wrong concept of God and you're afraid of God, you're hiding from God. Maybe you're that person who doesn't even want to think about the possibility of there being a God and, and what it means. So what happened when they sinned, they were afraid and the peace that they had had with God, it was instantly gone. But what I want to talk to you about today is that when they bent their knee to Satan, the arch enemy of their soul, Satan did something. Uh, it affected their, their nature, but he took that authority and that dominion that God had given to Adam. And when Adam subjected himself to the enemy of his soul, the enemy took that dominion. I want you to listen to a couple of verses of scripture. First in Job 19, he has stripped me of my crown, of my, of my glory and taken the crown from my head. In 2 Corinthians 4, whose minds the God, small g, of this age has blinded. Speaking of Satan, it calls him the God of this age. Think about that. Satan is the God, small g, of this age. And, and really what it's talking about is the culture that we're living in. In John 14, Jesus said, I will no longer touch talk much with you. The ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Speaking of Satan, Jesus said the ruler of this world. That's why when Jesus came, he came proclaiming a different kingdom. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God because the Bible says in first John that the whole world lies in the sway of the wicked one. He is the ruler of this age. So in Luke chapter four, Jesus is being tempted by the devil. And it says that he takes him and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whomsoever I wish. Now, if the devil's lying, there's no temptation. But he said all the authority and all the glory of all the nations of the earth has been delivered to me. Who gave it to him? Adam. Because God gave it to Adam. But Adam bowed his knee to the arch enemy of his soul. And when he did, literally, Satan became the ruler of this world. He took the authority, the dominion that God had given to Adam and he stripped him of his glory. And he had took the crown from off his head. Now, 
When this happened, Satan began to operate in the earth. And that's the reason that there's sickness, disease, war, pestilence, earthquake, AIDS, you name it. The terrible thing that you can think of, it's here because Satan is the ruler of this age. How many have ever heard something like, well, if God is a God of love, if there's a God and he's a God of love, well, why this? Why that? Why the next thing? Why did they die? Why did this happen? How many ever heard that line? The answer is because Satan is the ruler of this age. That is the reason. Now, let me just put it to you real simple. Before he shows up, there's none of it. And in the end, when he's gone, there's none of it. It's only in between when he is the ruler of this age. Now, here's what happened. Adam was the first man. And he was a representative man. He represented you and he represented me in everything that he did. So I know we're American and we don't like that. How many of you want to vote for your representative? Send them to Lansing, send them to Washington. But sometimes things happen and you don't get to vote. But the the illustration I've used before is uh, Jeannie and I were living in Mexico. We were missionaries and our first son Joshua was born in Mexico. And it was actually technically illegal to be a foreigner and live in Mexico. And you couldn't get, there was no, no way to get papers to be a missionary. So we were like sneaking in and out. I mean, you didn't sneak. They saw your papers. What are you doing? You know, they really, they gave you a terrible time. So we get pregnant again with our second son, Samuel. And we thought, well, let's just go to the States. We'll have him born in the States. He'll be an American citizen. And he can be born in a beautiful, clean American hospital. And so we go up uh, to where Jeannie's folks are in the state of Washington about three weeks before it was time for Samuel to be born. And one night, water breaks, jump in the car. We actually jumped in the van. We're on the way to the to uh, the hospital and, and we almost made it. And Samuel was born in the van. And then his his brother, Daniel, who's right there a few years later, he was born in the van. And then, then their sister, Stephanie, she was born in a van. Okay. So, so that's why they're Vanderklocks. They're <laughs> but now listen, that's all true. Okay. <laughs> well, except for that's why they're Vanderklocks. So that's not true. But here's what we did. We, Jeannie and I, made a decision while Samuel was in her womb. And that decision affected his citizenship. If we had stayed in Mexico, he'd have been a Mexican citizen. But we came to the United States and he became an American citizen. We made a decision that affected him because he was in Jeannie. Well, the truth is you were in Adam. And everything that he did, he represented you. Now, when we get to heaven, we're going to talk to him. We're going to let him know we, we, were, we were not voting for any of this. So what happens, there's this separation. Man lost his relationship with God. He was afraid of God, was no longer there communicating with God. Romans 5, verse 12, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. Why did death, sickness, disease, war, pestilence, AIDS, 
prejudice. Why did it all come into the world? Because of one man's sin. Death and everything that is, is associated with it came through that sin. Thus, death spread to all men. Because in Adam, we all sin. Now, one of the things that resulted as from that sin is that the earth came under a curse. In fact, it actually says in the book of Romans that creation itself is waiting for the adoption, is groaning for the adoption of the children of God when that curse is going to be broken. In Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity, speaking to Satan, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He'll bruise your head and you will crush his heel. Now, God said immediately, look, somebody is going to come and we call him the seed of the woman and he will crush your head. And literally what it means is he will take your authority. Yeah, in the Bible, there's a book in the Old Testament called the book of Joshua, the conquest of Canaan. And they took these wicked kings and they literally, Joshua said to the, 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 the uh, leaders of the army, come over here and put your foot on their neck or their head. And it was a common practice. And it represented that they had lost their authority and their authority had gone to the person who was up on top. And what God said immediately, Satan thought he had won. Well, he won a battle, but he, God said, you're losing the war because somebody's coming, the seed of the woman. And when he comes, he will crush your head. Well, you and I know he came. He came born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life. Acts 10:38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And by the way, everybody Jesus healed was oppressed by who? The devil. That's what the Bible says. It wasn't God that made somebody sick. It was because sin had entered the world. It was because Satan was the ruler of this age. So he lives this life and, and ultimately the, 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 the leaders because they're afraid they're going to lose their position. They take, they put him through a mock trial and he's crucified. He dies. He's buried. And as the, the Jewish people count days, any part of the day is, in, is then considered the whole day. On the third day, he arose from the dead. Now, we were just there six, seven weeks ago. So I got a couple pictures. I wanted to show you, this is the garden tomb. And how many, look, I want you to notice that tomb. It is empty. It's empty because he is risen indeed. It's risen indeed. Now, this tomb is probably 250 yards from Golgotha. And the, the Bible mentions that he's taken to a garden nearby. There's a picture from the outside of the tomb. And he's put, placed in this tomb, which is right near the garden. This is as near as you could get. And it's empty because he arose. But I want to talk to you for just a couple minutes about what that means to you and to me. And first of all, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, The first man, Adam, became a living being or a living soul. God breathed into him. And the last Adam. Now, you may not realize this, but there was one man... The first guy, Adam, who lived in a garden, his wife's name was Eve, he got us in a mess. So what God did was this. He said, well, I'm going to send a second 
Adam. In fact, the Bible calls him the last Adam. We can say it like this. The whole Bible is written about two men. They have the same name. Truly, both of them, their name is Adam. One lived in a garden with his wife Eve. And the other one, the Bible says, is the Lord from heaven. And you call him Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the one who's risen from the dead. He is the last Adam. God sent him just like the first Adam represented all mankind. God sent a second representative, Jesus Christ, who literally the Bible calls the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Jesus came as a representative and he came to pay for your sin in my sin. And he came to crush the head of the devil so that his dominion could be taken. That's why he came. Romans 4, verse 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses. Somebody said the Romans crucified Jesus. Somebody else said the Jewish people crucified Jesus. The Bible says you crucified Jesus. The Bible says he was delivered up because of our offenses. How many have an offense or two? He came because of you. And if you had been the only person on earth, he would have he would have come because of you. He's delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of or when we were justified. Now, being justified may mean nothing to you, but this is what it means to be made just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I'd never. You have been justified by what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God is no longer holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. That's what Jesus did. He paid 100% for your sin. You will never be right with God because of how good you are. You'll be right with God because you realize Jesus paid for my sin. And I receive him as my sacrifice and my king. Hebrews 9, 12. He went once for all into the holy of holies of heaven. Now, Moses went up on that mountain and received those Ten Commandments. And God said, you make this tabernacle. Make it exactly the way I show you. Now, he said, make it exactly because it's a copy of the one God has in heaven. And in that tabernacle, there was a, a square part where only the high priest could go in once a year. And the Ark of the Covenant was there. And the mercy seat was on top of that ark. And once a year in the Bible says never without blood. The priest would go in and he would take and he would sprinkle that blood seven times on that mercy seat. And he would receive forgiveness or really a covering for the sins of the people. But he had to go back the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But Jesus, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, having found and secured a complete redemption and an everlasting release. Jesus took his blood into heaven and he put it on the mercy seat there and obtained a complete 
redemption. You say, what does that mean? That means nothing's missing. Everything that needed to be done was done. And he obtained an everlasting release. Everlasting. In other words, this thing that Jesus did for you, he did it once for all time and it covers you forever. Forever. You are covered by the blood of the lamb. It says in, in Hebrews 12, talking about Jesus' blood and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Cain kills Abel and Abel's blood cried. God said, I hear his blood crying and saying, avenge me. But Jesus' blood is on the mercy seat in heaven. And the Bible says it is speaking right now. And it says, forgive them, bless them, protect them, deliver them, heal them, let favor, let salvation. Jesus' blood is speaking on your behalf right now. Now, the Bible says that blood, only blood was given to make an atonement for your soul. So the fact that Jesus died means that he took his blood went to heaven, obtained an eternal redemption, and that blood, 24-7, 365, is speaking on your behalf. Now, the last thing I want to mention about what Jesus' resurrection means to you and to me is this. The fact that he is, was raised means that you also will be raised. 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, redemption is spirit, soul, and body. And body. When Jesus arose, he arose with a physical body. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus arose that the tombs of many of the righteous people around Jerusalem came out of their graves with him. Just as a matter to show, they're called the first fruits, to show that Jesus' resurrection was not something that was just about him. Now, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, that the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, if you are a believer and you die right now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You'll go and be with the Lord, but we're going to take your body and we're going to bury it somewhere. But when Jesus comes back and somebody says, he's going to resurrect our bodies. Now, somebody says, how is he going to do that? Listen, I don't know. I don't know if he's got a cell someplace, he's going to clone you or how he's going to do it. I do not know. But here's what I do know. That God spoke and said, let there be in the universe literally jumped into existence. Now, listen, I just read this. Their latest estimate is that there are 23 sextillion stars, which means absolutely nothing. That's a 23, excuse me, that's a one with 23 zeros. Or maybe this will help. It is a trillion times 300 billion. Still didn't help me either. Okay. How about this one? It is basically the number of grains of sand on all of the beaches in all of the deserts of the world. That's how many stars they say they're out there. Now, the God who says, let there be, 
and that jumps into existence? No problems. How he's going to do it, we don't know. He said he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Right? The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall forever be with the Lord. For how long? For ever. It's an eternity. The Bible says in Romans 5, therefore, having been justified, we talked about that, by faith, we have peace with God. That peace is what Adam and Eve lost when they sinned. They were afraid. They hid. You know, but when you are justified by your faith in what Jesus has done for you with his blood, you once again, you have peace with God. Now, I want to talk about one more little aspect of this resurrection. What does it mean to you and to me? Well, it means this, that he is coming again. When Jesus arose from the dead, he spent 40 days, Acts 1, with his disciples talking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And he goes to the Mount of Olives, and while he's talking with them and blessing them, he literally just ascends up into heaven. And they're just like watching, and two angels come by, and they said, the same Jesus that left will in like manner come again. Come again. Jesus said... I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Jesus is coming again, 1 Thessalonians, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. Jude, verse 14. Now Enoch the seventh from heaven prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands times ten thousands times ten thousands of his saints. Jesus himself, Revelation 22, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Every single New Testament author, without exception, talks about Jesus coming back again. Then in Revelation 20, verses 2 through 7, that's six verses, six times in six verses, it says that he's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign 1,000 times years and that you will rule and reign with him during that 1000 year reign. Now, the, the, the theologians call this the millennial reign of Christ, right? But after that is where it gets interesting. Then what he does is he takes this planet that has been so corrupted by sin. And the book of Peter tells us that God destroys this planet as we know it. Not a nuclear holocaust, but God's going to do this. And it says every element will melt. Got that? Your car. Your house. It's gone. And the atmosphere will explode in fervent heat. And it's gone. But then John tells us what happens. And this is, he says, I saw a new heaven, a new atmosphere and a new earth for the first atmosphere and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Now, I like this planet, man. I love this place. 
Uh, we, we, for the first time, Jeannie and I, we snuck away last winter, went down to Mexico, down to Cancun. We're laying out there on the beach, soaking up the rays. You guys have got minus 10. We're, oh, oh. And I said to Jeannie, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. You know what? And this earth is cursed. But we got a new one coming. A new one. Improved earth coming. The first one had passed away. He said, and there is no more sea. Literally, what we're going to have is this planet is going to become a garden. The first man got in trouble in a garden. Jesus arose in a garden. And he's coming back to bring us another garden. A perfect one. He, John said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride prepared or adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. I'll dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will, will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there will be no more death, sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now, I want to talk to you about spending eternity with Jesus. Here's what most people think. They think about heaven and they think, I'm going to sit on a cloud. I'm going to wear a sheet. I'm going to play a harp. Well, fat, naked babies float around <laughs> with little bow and arrows. Listen to me. That is in the Bible. No place. No place. That is like Little Red Riding Hood or the old lady in the shoe. That is no place in the Bible. The Bible says that, what, but listen, what makes heaven heaven is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the most awesome thing in heaven is God's city. And the Bible says God and his city are moving and they're coming to this recreated, blessed earth. So you do not spend eternity wearing a sheet on a cloud, playing a harp with naked babies. It's going to be the most awesome thing that anybody could ever imagine. And all the things that we don't like about this place are gone. The death, the pain, the sorrow. Listen, let me just tell you what's, listen, there's not even band-aids in heaven. You get a body like Jesus has. <laughs> I just got to thinking about this first service. There's, there's no more dentists in heaven. <laughs> Is that good news? No doctors, no hospitals, no ambulance, no aspirin, no worry or fear, no divorce or cavities or jealousy or temptation or suicide or eating disorders or school shootings or bullies or hunger or thirst. Or, there are no more bills. Praise God. <laughs> no funerals and no regrets and no apologies and no fighting and drugs and drunkenness and sin or discontentment or scars or shame or loneliness and no devil and all he brings are in heaven. Now, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. Heaven is not a state of mind or a figment of somebody's imagination or a philosophical concept or a religious abstract or a sentimental dream. 
Jesus said, heaven is a place. John said, I saw what made it come down and come right here on earth. It's planted with, populated with people. God lives there. It's got buildings and rivers and trees and streams and the most awesome thing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, his city. And listen, your family and loved ones. I love it when they die in the Old Testament. It says, and they're gathered to their people. You know, somebody dies, we have a funeral. We cry. In heaven, they're waiting and they go, ah, hallelujah, you made it. Yeah, literally. You are gathered to your people. I mean, it is a celebration. Your true inheritance. It's where your citizenship is. Your eternal rewards. And the Bible says in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.